0: When I was a little kid, we had a pastor, Pastor Gaylord was his name, and I don't remember much about him because I must have been just a little guy. I remember he was tall and he was bald, and he loved this song. We sang this song all the time, and I think I learned it uh, even as a little kid before I could read because he loved that song, and what a good song that is to know and think about, Uh, the perfect peace and rest, trusting in our Lord. That's where we're headed in the sermon today. You'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. And God's Word says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So you've seen that show on TV uh, maybe on the Animal Planet where they people have a problem with their cats my kids like this one because they we were we are kind of a cat family and a dog family we're a, an anomaly uh, we like them both but uh people would have problems with their cats and they'd call in this person and this person would would fix their cat you know sort of like a there's the ones where they have problems with their kids and then and that's that's what I hated to watch <laughs> the uh, the ones with the cats Well, we've we've got a family that could have used a cat doctor or can be using a cat doctor in our church. Two cats that that seem to love each other, got along good at least, Uh, could be trusted to be together with each other. And right around the 4th of July, and maybe, you know, one theory is it's the fireworks and and things like that, but but they, they decided they didn't like each other anymore. I think it was one more than the other one. Uh, but the, but one was on the attack I, you could change those cats' names to Euodia and Syntechy i think uh, like we talked about last week but there was there's an issue even now they are separated in different rooms but i started getting pictures and one picture said progress <laughs> and on one corner of the house and the other corner of the house they're still there but they are there at least in the same room and, and they're 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 progress And then yesterday, there was one with even more progress. They were both sitting, not snuggled up with each other, but kind of side by side looking out the window. And Steve said, they have something in common. They're looking at the birds outside. And I thought, you know what? That was Paul's prescription. Euodia and this from last week, get along together in the Lord. Uh, A common denominator, a common thing, not looking at each other, but looking at something that's very important. As birds are to cats, uh, the Lord is to Christians. And as we look at the Lord, uh, we can overcome a lot of little things uh, that might normally rub us the wrong way about each other. Well, there's a lot you can overlook when you say, that's my brother in Christ, that's my sister in Christ. My sins were there uh, being paid for by Jesus on the cross, and so were hers, and so uh, Jesus must love us both, and and we're both adopted into his family. There is a commonness, and in the Lord, and that occurs several times in the text from last week and in this morning's text. So we're picking up from where we were last week, and uh, some people have said in in this letter to the Philippians that uh, these next few verses are just like Paul's wrapping up his letter, and he's thought, oh, yeah, do this, do this, do this. And maybe kind of a random, you know, like your parents would write to you about one big thing. And then they'd say, well, don't forget to get the license tag changed on your car, and, and don't forget to this and that. And they, they tack on this stuff at the, and then, at the end, and they'd say, love you, and, and, and they're on, uh, gone. Uh, people have said, maybe that's what Paul was doing here. But if you consider this in the context of the letter, in the context of everything, These are not just tacked on instructions, but they flow. They flow along with. So where we're at is Paul is in prison. Doesn't know if it's going to be life or death for him in the end. There's a congregation that he loves dearly. They love him. He's got a lot of good memories with them. Uh, They bring joy and rejoicing. We said at the very start of this series uh, that uh, if you're uh, a young uh, pastoral candidate, and you're on the floor of Presbytery, and somebody says, uh, what is Philippians about? Don't say it's about four chapters and think you're going to get away with that. But you say it's about joy and rejoicing. It's about that. It's about those themes and those things running through it. And so uh, we pick up with that, with this rejoice in the Lord always, in the context of even some church conflict that he was uh, lovingly uh, helping settle. Four things this morning. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. Verse 4, rejoice. Verse 5, relate. Verse 6, reflect. And verse 7 is rest. So first of all, verse 4, he's saying rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice even in the context of conflict management. Those two ladies from last week. Uh, Even in the context of suffering and persecution and maybe death. Even in the context of false teachers that were threatening the church. Even in all of that, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Number of cases this this word is Cairo is, is the Greek word. It is all over the New Testament. it is all over the Old Testament, at least the Septuagint 's translation of the Old Testament. It is all over the secular writers of the day uh, i said i 'm going to look at this article uh, and, and do a little word study or i 'm going to piggyback on somebody else 's word study who I trust, Kyle and delich, and I look up this word, and it is like amazing how prominent this word. Cairo, for joy and rejoicing is, and in the scriptures and in Paul's writings. Uh, Jesus used the word when he talked about the woman, remember, who found the lost coin and she rejoiced and called all of her friends. Um, the people in the book of Acts, uh, it says they rejoiced because they were able to suffer for the gospel. Paul, in this letter, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says part of the Christian life is just you're going to progress and part of that is going to be the joy and the rejoicing that happens. Later on, he wrote a letter to this church in Galatia and he talked about something called the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Joy, rejoicing, is part of what happens
1: in the lives of believers. Cheerfulness, it means. Calm, delight. It's combined a lot with the word hope. Um,
0: I think that's elpis. I didn't write that down, but the Greek word for hope. And you see, Joy and hope together. Um, you see it in Romans 15, 13. You see it again in Romans 5, uh, verses 1 through 3, where we are told that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and we even rejoice in our sufferings. Sometimes it's juxtaposed with uh, the word for suffering or pressure or anguish, or trouble, flips us, it's, it's there. And it says, in spite of all of those types of things uh, that are pressuring us, we can have joy and hope. It's possible. It's possible. It sounds like almost too good to be true. We know if there's something in this world that's too good to be true. Um, it really is. But in the Bible, those rules do not apply. If something seems too good to be true in the Bible, and you know the plain words of the Bible say it, just say, wow, God, it must be you, and I can believe it because I see it in your word and you've proved it again and again in my life. Joy, rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, Church in, in verse 111. See, Paul used this all the time, Anytime he was writing to these congregations, no matter where their situation was. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Joy, rejoicing, it's there. It's not only about joy and rejoicing in the midst of suffering. That's one condition under which Christians can have joy. But it, and even the good things, or the normal things, or the everyday life that we get to live. I mean, we always say, uh, "No news is good news." Uh, how are things? Hey, it's it's quiet. I knew a guy, and they were struggling early on, and they had just become believers. And I'd say, "How's it going, man?" He goes, "It's quiet," and quiet was joyful. He. That was a good answer. If it's all quiet on the western front, that's good. You can have joy in the quiet times. You can have joy in the adversity. You can have joy in the good times. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Application of that whole idea to the church at large and to Christ the shepherd. I'm tempted to throw a lot of qualifiers on it. Only joy. I mean, like I talk about that one song we sing in the blue book that says, Now I'm happy all the day. And I'm like, I don't like that on the one hand. But you know what? Whenever I stop and pause and think about what it means to be a believer and get the perspective right, then all of a sudden joy does come. It's just a matter of of me getting my head around what's really true and away from what's
1: uh, partially true. There's fear at times in our lives. If you're
0: not afraid of what may be going on when you see all of the news headlines and you go, uh, What's happening economically? What's happening globally? What's, if there's not a little bit of, of, of fear, um, well, it just means you're, you're blissfully ignorant of what's happening. <laughs> there's some things to be fearful of, but not really. Then you stop and you think about it and you say, I'm a Christian. And better people than me have lived in harder times. And God has helped them. And God has helped all these people. I come from a long line of people, you, you say, who have been fallen and sinful and, uh, and, and on the surface not worthy of God's love and yet the great recipients of God's love. If God has a track record of helping and, and encouraging and providing for them, then what's different about me? And we can get back to that joy and rejoicing in spite of, of uh, things that might make us fearful.
1: Um, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Pass pas, upon, all, always, all. Rejoice in the word always.
0: When you're doing um, the first step of of." of, of Counseling, whether it's a couple of friends who are having a hard time with each other or whether it's a couple of Christians who are married to each other and they're struggling a little bit, uh, the first thing you, 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 you're going to do as a counselor, uh, you're going to have to do this. This is almost this is like guaranteed. You're going to have to say, oh, wait a minute. Did you hear what you just said? You said always. And a minute or two ago, you said never. Uh, we're going to outlaw the words always and never unless it really, you really do mean always, and if you really do mean never, then use it. But don't just say that in a generality, because always and never are pretty, um, they're, they're pretty uh, complete words. Uh, uh, there, there's no wiggle room out of that. Paul deliberately used the word "rejoice in the Lord" always. When he used the word "always," that's what was meant.
1: So it must be possible. I say it's impossible. And I say, how can how can this
0: be? From my own experience. And then I look back and I say, it just says rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. And I just sped read over that phrase, in the Lord. That's what makes it possible. In the Lord. Uh, Understanding who we are in the Lord. In the Lord. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are new in the Lord. Uh, It's Christians. Christians, as we look at our status and look at who we are in the Lord, we can rejoice. We're going to get to more of that later on, but uh, we're going to come back to it even during our worst days when everything is stripped down. If we're a Christian, we're going to run to the Lord in our relationship with him. Sometimes the hardest part for some of us is to rejoice in the Lord just during the day-to-day.
1: Preston, right now, quite likely as he processes the death of his mom, is finding great comfort in the Lord. He knows the Lord. She knew the Lord. We can
0: find our comfort in the Lord during hard days, and we we look for the Lord if we're Christians. We say, God, help me. Wrap your arms around me. Help me. Uh, Give me as much of a perspective as you can give me. Boy, when it's just the everyday stuff, it might not be so hard for you, but some of us have found that's when it's hard to rejoice in the Lord because we're just grinding it out as as, uh, rats running our little race. He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Moves on. The rejoicing in the Lord leads us into how we relate with our fellow human beings. So just to keep them all alliterated or whatever reason, I I call this relate. But it's verse 5. Verse 5 of the text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness. Uh, and I looked at the various translations, how they, they put that, uh, because I was trying to figure out what, what he meant by that to that church and what then the Lord means to us. Let your reasonableness know. And the best definition I could find from that Greek language uh, is the words gentle. Some translations will say, Let your gentleness be known to all people. Uh, it's gentle, it's patient. It's fair. It's equitable. It's others first. It's something about how you are. Let in your in your gentleness, not your aggressiveness. Not I'm going to push over. I'm going to run over these people. I'm going to get them and show them. And I've got. And we are tempted sometimes to do that. Um, uh, some of us do it very actively. Some of us have become masters at doing that passively. That's even worse. Boy, those passive aggressives, uh, somebody told me they're they're kind of tough. Uh, but um, gentle, patient, fair, equitable. It's not projecting yourself. About a decade ago, I saw an advertisement for a book, uh, uh, business pages of one of the, the papers, uh, and it said, uh, Making your own brand, or you are your own brand, and this was like like at the start of social media and and, and we've all kind of do this we we don 't say what what do I feel about this? we say what do what would Pastor Hutch say about this, and how would that impress and we create our own little brand about ourselves, and we think about it and we put and this says, you make your own brand just like you're a company. Uh, Now you don't work for the company, you work for yourself and you go from place to place and you've got to make sure yourself and who you are is uh, your own brand. That's the opposite of what the scripture says. The scripture says let your gentleness, your patience, your fairness, your equitability, let that become known to all people. There is something to project but it's not you. And I think Maybe people are starting to realize that as they become caricatures of their own selves trying to push their brand. He's saying, you're a Christian. You are about Christ, Christ-likeness. You are going to, if you have become a believer, uh, like it or not, if you're on a Christian, that first domino called justification has been pushed. Sanctification is coming. And, and if you're truly a believer,
1: you can't even stop it. You're going to become more Christ-like. Let your gentleness become known to all. If you're going to take the name of Christ on yourself,
0: as in Christian, Christian, if you're going to be a Christian, then that's the brand, and it's not your brand. It's Christ-likeness. He said to the Philippian church, "Let your Christ-likeness, or let your gentleness, let your." Fairness, your reasonableness, be known to all. Get the reputation of a, as, as a church body, you Philippians, uh, you folks in, 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 in the middle of it who are squabbling with each other and squawking a little bit, you that are uh, looking to be an example of Christ to the world. Let that reasonableness, as the ESV puts it, be known to everyone. And then he adds, the Lord is at hand. Couple of interpretations, and and, and uh, I believe I believe the Calvin interpretation was uh, uh, was one thing, and there were others, and they, they went back and forth. But some people say the Lord is at hand means God is here, watching and protecting, overseeing and defending. Uh, you're living your life before the audience of God. Also, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand to help you as you live. In a Christian way. As you repent and ask forgiveness. And and decide not to hold that grudge. As you uh, speak truth but speak it in love. And the Lord is at hand. That's one understanding. Uh, Other people have said no. this This points toward the eschatological. The end times. This is saying the Lord's return is imminent. It's critical that you live because the Lord's at hand. It's coming. These are the last days. Um, Both of those will preach. (laughs) Flip a coin. I tend to think the first one, that the Lord is here. He's near via his Holy Spirit. He's with us to help us to be gentle. Um, But that second one could be as true. We know the Lord's return is imminent too.
1: What we need to understand is let your reasonableness be known to all people, everyone.
0: Uh, People pointed out it's not just within the church or not just within your family. This is the world within and the world without. Uh, As they look at your church there, uh, that uh, first Presbyterian church of Philippi, let your reasonableness be known to the world as they look at your congregation. The Lord is at hand. So to rejoice in the Lord, to relate as God's child to the world, requires a certain mindset or a a way of thinking that we we need to have and can have. And so verse 6 talks about reflection, prayerful reflection. Verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A prayerful reflection a way for us to, uh, as we think about God and think about Jesus and think about events and think about the whole course of everything as we
1: get a sense of perspective on on life, uh, that comes as we pray. Maybe you've sung that song, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there.
0: As you take that burden to the Lord, let the Lord be the one to handle these things. Then all of a sudden rejoicing can happen. I was talking to these guys from this little tiny church that's going to come in here. Now here's the kicker. I was so excited to get to know Pastor Sandro. Pastor Sandro. I said, boy, I wanted a, a Spanish language church. Turns out Pastor Sandro is Brazilian, but he would preach in Spanish if, if the first four or five couples that came... Uh, if there was more Spanish, he'd preach in Spanish, they'd translate into English, English to Spanish. So I'm talking to him on the phone, and Paula's sitting in the living room, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to get to know you. I'm trying to look, because two of my fellow pastors from our group have, have, have uh, moved out of this state. They've gone to other congregations and places, and I'm like, I need some some broad pastoral support and friendship. I need, I need people, uh, pastors, who, to, to pray with and, and, and encourage me. And I said, boy, when? He says, well, he says, um,
1: Something has come up within his company. He says, I'm going to Texas. Texas. Whoa. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I needed to do that. And there was
0: was a reason he gave me that that it it had to happen. And I said, Whoa, well, when are you going? I'm already here. I'm calling you from Texas. I said, Oh, man. (laughs) And he says, We're praying for a pastor from the, the denomination and all that. These elders are strong and good. So I I sat and talked with them yesterday, and I said we've got an, an elder that always reminded me, there's nothing we can do to make our church succeed if God doesn't want it to succeed. And there's nothing we can do to fail if God wants it to succeed. And and they're like, yeah, that's what that's what you told the congregation. That's that's what. And so so they're they're talking that. And I said, we can take those burdens to the Lord and leave them there. And I told them about the time I was just pacing back and forth and back and forth, just worried about Christ the shepherd in its infancy and, and, and thinking the burden was all on me and then being able to say, wait a minute. You Remember that old country song, I'm walking the floor over you. Can't sleep a wink, it's true. I'm opening, I'm praying, I'm walking. I was walking the floor over the church. And I said, I'm not going to walk the floor anymore. If God wants to wear out the, the, the flooring in heaven, by pacing back and forth and worrying, that can be on God. I'm going, I'm going to bed. This is God's church. It's not mine. And I shared that with them. And I said, whatever we can do to pray for you and encourage you, uh, and I can't wait. We're praying for your pastor to be right. I said, if you ever want me to to, to do your preaching, I said, I know the difference between the PCA and the Calvary Chapel, and I won't, uh, I won't try and get all you guys converted over. We'll talk about our common denominator of the gospel and Jesus, and, and I can be an encourager for you. But whatever we can do, uh, we take our burdens and we leave it to the Lord, and then we can have joy and rejoicing, knowing God's the boss, and God's a good boss. Uh, did you read the, 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 the quote? I, I put it in there because I liked one turn phrase that Calvin put in here about... Um, the the sentiment about, uh, he says, here we have the most beautiful sentiment from which we learn on the one hand that ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience and that this is the reason why we are so quickly and on trivial accounts thrown into confusion and often, too, become disheartened because we do not recognize the fact that the Lord cares for us. God is sovereign. You can trust him. But here's the phrase I liked. He said, On the other hand, we learn that this is the only remedy for tranquilizing our minds. And I said, I need a good mind tranquilization. I need God's providence and the understanding that God is sovereign and God is loving. I just put that tranquilizer, tranquilize my mind. Um, When we repose unreservedly in his providential care, as knowing that we are not exposed either to the rashness of fortune. What happens to you is not the rashness of fortune. Oh, man, what happened? Boom. I just lost the lottery. I, I just... Why? Why? What? We're not exposed either to the rashness of fortune or to the caprice of the wicked, but are under the regulation of God's fatherly care. Take that... Uh, you, can, you can take that home and just cut that out and, and put that somewhere and read it a few times and, and, and try and absorb that. But understand... It's, it's knowing that God is sovereign and you can trust him. God is sovereign, but God is good, as some people have, have said it. That we can rejoice. We can take these prayer requests to him. We can talk to him. And that spills over into our, our attitude of, of, of joy. It spills over into our reasonableness of conduct
1: among the world. Consider your standing as a believer. You have access to God.
0: You can pray. Lots of people say they pray. If they're not coming to God through Jesus Christ as believers, it's not prayer. It's it's something. It's an appeal. But you have access to God because God has accepted you in his sight and God loves you through Jesus Christ. You have every right to, to appeal to God. And God has unlimited resources and an unlimited love for you. I was talking to one of my mentors the other day, and he was talking about this, and he says, Dave, you have the right, as a child of God, to tell God, to to bring your appeals to God. He said, I have grandkids. I love my grandkids, and it makes me so happy If my grandkids can come and ask me and there's a way I can help them and really be good in their life, I want to help my grandkids. I wouldn't do anything if they asked me for something that is going to harm them. And with my wisdom of life and where I've been and knowing them, I wouldn't give them that. But I love to be able to give good things to my grandkids. You are God's son. Pray to God. Make your request known to God. It doesn't say... That when you make your requests known to God that He's going to answer every one of them, um, He does answer them a, a yes, a no, or a wait. We know that. But when you talk to God and, and, and bring your request to God, you're talking to the sovereign and you're 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 getting a divine perspective on things. Take that prayerful reflection. I'd forgotten this formula. Here's just a practical little formula. This came up in men's group this week. Somebody said it, and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. That used to be very helpful to me, and I bet it would be helpful to me if I started again. People say, how do I pray? He brought up the word acts. Have you ever heard this? It's good. We don't all have to have the same little prayer formula. I'm saying, I'm not saying that. But uh, if you're saying, I'm kind of stuck in my prayers right now, well, maybe the word acts is a good, is a, maybe this will help you. If it does, then good. A. Adoration. He used to say, start your prayer adoring God. Listing things that are good about God, that you know about God. Everything you know good. Adore God. We worship God. It's a humbling. In a positive, it's the proper kind of humbling way. Adoration. Confession. Confess your sin. We do this in our service. We we have a couple of songs that talk about how God is great. Then we move to our confession of our sins. Uh, Then Thanksgiving. Man, you can list those things to be thankful for. And then uh, it fits, and it's part of the word, it's part of prayer, supplication. Then you bring your request to God in the context of God being wonderful and good, in the context of, of, of us knowing who we are in relation, we've been forgiven, in the context of thanksgiving, and then bring your supplications to the Lord. That was the reflection that we're talking about. And then finally, the funny thing is that while we're doing these things, at the same time, God is working in us. This is Paul just even restating, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you. And God's working in us. Remember, When he said, we love him because he first loved us. God is at work even while we're doing these things of living out the Christian life. God is is enabling and helping. And I just said, well, I need a word that starts with R that would really sum it up. And the word rest is the right word. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is that passes understanding. The promise is not that the prayers will be answered, but that there will be peace that passes normal human understanding. The peace of God, meaning the peace that God has. Is God at peace with the world situation these days? Is God checking the internet to see the news headlines every three or four hours to see what's going on? See how he has to react. No. God is at peace. Uh, Think of Jesus on the boat and the storm coming up. Carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus is asleep. He finally gets up and says, "Ah, since you woke me up, peace, be still. Uh, That's the kind of peace of God. God is at peace. And that kind of peace that passes human understanding will be yours, Paul said to this, this church. The peace of God which passes understanding will guard
1: your hearts. It's supernatural. It's unexplainable. It's a gift from God. You
0: can't generate it in and of yourself. You can't do any tricks. You
1: can't buy it. But it's there. All you can do is expect it. Expect the peace of God says it would be a garrison It will guard your
0: hearts and your minds. Um, Paul was writing, and there was a Roman garrison there at Philippi. And first they waged war, and they conquered, and, and, they, and they brought the people under subjection. But then they provided the peace that was there. Think of that spiritually. Think of the war uh, that was going on, and God won that war. He showed you your need of forgiveness and repentance and, and, and showed you who Jesus was. And he won that war in your heart, and now he's the one guarding the peace uh, of your heart and your mind. Paul says heart and mind. He's, t- he's talking about a couple of things there. It's, 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 it's all inclusive. Saying um, uh, in your heart, when biblical writers talk about this, they're talking about the emotions and the things. Your mind is your thought process. I would just remind us from the text that God is in control. God is your defender. God is your strong tower. And this is not something that Jesus himself did not uh, experience or do when he was uh, in the form of, of, of human, when he was perfectly human and perfectly God. Uh, his reasonableness was known to all. He could say, turn the other cheek with a straight face because that was his way. Uh, He could say, if they compel you to walk a mile, go another mile. When he was reviled, uh, he reviled not again. He could have called, the Bible says, 10,000 angels to come down and just wipe them all out. And they deserved it. We deserved it. But he didn't. There was a reasonableness. There was a gentleness. Because he loved his people, uh, because he came to save his people, he
1: did not push himself forward. He went to the cross like a sheep being led to the slaughter. Did he pray? All night in some cases. Uh, A famous prayer
0: right before he was headed to that cross where he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so we're not being told, we're not being led in the path that has not been Uh, uh, blazed, That, that trail's been blazed by Jesus before
1: us and we are just following Jesus as we do these things. But there was a time where that peace was not a garrison. When Jesus
0: was on the cross and he screamed the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When that guarding was gone, somebody said, "When the father and son parted company." And here is this rending. Almost, I'm going to get in. I want to want to make sure we know that that uh, father, son, and spirit were always father, son, and spirit. But Jesus, when he cried out, "My God, My God," that was a new experience, and he was paying. For us for the sins of his
1: people so that we as Christians don't have to experience that separation. That's our Savior. And what perspective we now have being his redeemed
0: sinners. What a cause for rejoicing and what a beautiful thing to show our neighbors and our coworkers and our lost family members as we grow deeply in our relationship with him we do these things and we get to live this Christian life of being guarded and of having peace that passes understanding
1: because Jesus was wide open to the wrath of the Father. And he gives you peace and he keeps peace and you are guarded and you are loved so we can live a life that's different, a life that we would normally not live, and we don't have to fall
0: back into uh, uh, old ways. We do, and when we do, we just confess, and and we are forgiven, and we're loved, and we're brought back. Uh, This is your
1: status as a Christian. This is your standing with God, one who's saved, one who can rest in what God's done. I do not understand all of the pain of everything. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing people who've gone through incredible pain. I'm thinking of what was my worst day so far. I can't explain everything. I can't say that you become a Christian and nothing bad will ever happen, only good things will happen. But I'm saying in the end, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And as somebody
0: said, uh, everything does work out for the Christian that's right in the end. And if it's not working out right now, that just means it's not the end.
1: There's a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch
0: woman. And her family hid Jewish people during World War II. And um in the end they got caught hiding the Jews and, and uh they paid a price for it and some family members died. But she was an old lady and she would speak at big conferences and one thing she did, she used this uh was a, an illustration, an object lesson. And um if any of you have ever, ever cross stitched, like I've lived with somebody who's done a lot of cross stitching. Uh, early on, I would see these beautiful things on the one side. Boy, how could they count those stitches and to pull those stitches back up and redo them right if they miscounted, and everything is good. You know what? Whenever one of those fancy cross stitches went into a frame, it was that picture that you saw. That Cory Boom would take this, and, and she had, I think, a Bible verse or something on it, maybe one of these Bible verses we talked about, and she would say, here's the principle then she would turn it back. And on the other side of the cross stitch, it's chaos. It's, it's, uh, it's not, you, you can't make heads or tails. You can't say, what's on the other side of this? Because the strings and all that. Life is this messiness. But you turn that over, that's what God's doing and what God has done. And so as Christians, he even gives us the grace to, in unfolding ways, believe and see that. We're going to sing a song when we close written by a man, and I'd rather have you just look it up than describe it, but this was a man who wrote this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, at the very spot where family members of his, children of his, died. And God gave him a peace he couldn't describe in the midst of that. And as we sing that after we go to the table, uh, think about that. And think about a loving God who not only saves your soul, prepares a place for you, but even as we walk through this life, with its good and with its bad, who is there with us and loving us and even giving us the grace and strength to rejoice and rest. Let us pray and go to the table. Lord, thank you for this section in Philippians. We look forward to wrapping uh, this little letter up, but we pray that you'll help us uh, even now to take what we've heard and seen in your text and give us the grace and the strength. And thank you that you help us to rejoice. And you help us to reflect. And you help us to uh, be reasonable and, and, uh, and relate to uh, lost people. Thank you, Lord, that we get to rest in you and in your finished work on the cross.
1: And we thank you for that so much that the work is yours to do in us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.